This is the Dive Bomb Squadcast, presented by Dive Bomb Industries. What's up, everyone? Asher Tolliver here again with another episode of the Dive Bomb Squadcast. The season has officially begun, and honkers have been dying in North Dakota. I know the rest of you are anxiously awaiting September 1. I know we are ready to get back out there. Today, we are going to talk all about hunting geese inside the spread, and to help me with this, I am joined by a couple good friends of mine, good friends at Dive Bomb, both of who run out of Crooked Wings Outfitters in Lubbock, Texas, Mr. Will Riddle and Mr. Trevor Bennett. What's up, guys? What's going on, Asher? Hey, man. Thank you guys for taking a minute to join me today. I know uh, we've we've kind of had some technical difficulties, but we're here now, and uh, we're ready to rock and roll, and we're going to knock it out. So before we get going too deeply into this, I want a quick background rundown on both of you guys. I want to know where you're from, how long you've been guiding, and your favorite species to target. Will, we'll start with you. Alrighty. I'm from uh, Houston, Texas. Originally, I live in Lubbock, Texas now. I moved up here in, uh, I guess it was 2014 to go to school. Um, been guiding hunts since I was 16. Started down there on the prairie working for Scott Clary and then um, now now running up here for Crooked Wing and uh, couldn't love it more. I, I love hunting lesser Canadian geese. I, I like hunting any type of geese, but those lessers are sure fun. They, they stole my heart when I came up here. Trevor? Uh, well, I'm from a little town in Eastern Oregon. Um, grew up hunting deer and elk just like everyone else did. And my dad had a buddy that was kind of into the goose hunting thing and got into that and it engulfed me like as hard as it ever had. And, uh, went to college to play baseball and was guiding every day that I didn't have practice or even days I did have practice. I'd I'd run a, I'd run a hunt in the fall and then go to practice and, and just, have to run all day because I was late because it was two hour drive from, from where I went to school to go guide. And you, yeah, I started, started going out East a couple years after that. And this is my fir- fourth full year guiding. And you know, I like chasing those white devils. Awesome. Well, this is going to work out perfect because the two most commonly targeted species from inside the spread without a doubt would be lesser Canada geese and snow geese and i got two guys that are you know really good at both of them but individually got will who's very very good i hunted with will last fall and very very good at hunting dark geese inside the spread trevor very very good at hiding inside the spread for snow geese very successful uh both of them interchangeably do both very well but individually um you know this is going to be a good a good conversation and we're going to, we're going to get some good Intel during this podcast. So um, before we get to uh, species specific, let's break down some general rules or guidelines that you guys feel always apply when hiding under the S five F Canada's or the S five snows. So will, what is the biggest mistake you see most hunters make whenever hiding underneath the tall socks? Uh, it would, that would definitely be just kind of blobbing them up, having a big old blob. Um, obviously when you hide, you're trying to keep attention off of you. And so a lot of guys are taking these, these tall socks and thinking, Hey, I got a new blind type of deal, sticking them, you know, laying under them and thinking that that's their blind. Well, it's, uh, 
it's not. It's just another another tool in your arsenal to help you hide from these birds and help you decoy them when you're laying inside the spread. But you definitely want to avoid um, drawing all that attention using those socks to you, whether that's, you know, if the only socks in your spread or the tall socks you're laying in, well, that's adding more motion than anything else. Those geese are looking at them. Um, taper that spread off a little bit, thin it out. You don't need just a big old blob right there, but um, you don't think by hiding under a tall sock that you're, that you're hiding in a blind or that's, you're just invisible to those geese because they can still see through them. Absolutely. Trevor. Um, yeah, that's, that's probably the biggest one right there is like the no blob, but um, I, I think that, I think where people go wrong, if, if I guess I can go out on that route, but I think what people go wrong with the tall socks is like, they try to make them too, I guess they try to make it as like, Oh, this is it right here. Like, like base everything start off of right there. And it goes back to the same thing every single time with the blob. Like you got to use them as a tool, like as a helper, you know, it's just, there's just like, going to block a little bit you can't rely on straight socks to to just be able to hide it all they got to be in the right spot in the right conditions and you know i i grew up hunting inside the spread that's how i learned how to goose hunt that's how uh that's what i applied to learning how to goose hunt up here when i moved up here and started hunting lessers from hunting specks and snow geese on the prairie i mean that's what we did we hit in hit in the decoys we hit in the socks and uh I would imagine there's a lot more people out there that hid in the decoys before these tall socks came out. Um, so apply, apply what you did before, you know, uh, cover yourself up, use a ghillie blanket, whatever you got to do. Um, those socks aren't just hiding you. Um, you really gotta, you really gotta be smart with them and, and set them smart, you know, use, use that, that tallness to your advantage, but don't let it hurt you. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, what, what you guys, you know, are saying is talking about the blob. The last thing you want is just a big block, rectangular blocks around the hunters. You know, these tall decoys, they're 36 inches tall. Okay. The, the regular socks, most socks are around 24 to 26 inches tall. So a big mistake a lot of people have is they just make these big, these big blocks around the hunters. And it's like, it looks so unnatural, and a lot of people, they use way too many talls um, for what their particular application calls for. You know, that you might have three or four guys running 15 or 20 dozen talls, and it's just like, boom, boxed around them, and they, they wonder why they're not getting the results they're after, but when you look at it, it just doesn't look realistic. It just looks like hunters hiding here, and... You know, what What can some people do to combat that that blob we're talking about to say, um, to, to give you that, that uniformity through the spread, whether your uniformity is really, really tight or it's really, really loose? What are some things, Will, that guys can do to try to avoid that, that look where you're driving down the road and, you know, you say, oh, there's the hunters, next spread. There's the hunters. There's the hunters. It's just so easy to pick out. What, what can people do to combat that uh i mean you kind of touched on that just a second there uh saying you know whether you're running a tight spread or a loose spread that day well if i'm running a spread that day um i don't want to just run a loose spread whatever you know wherever my kill hole is whatever spread i'm running i don't want to run a loose spread then all of a sudden have this tight mass where i'm hiding 
uh, like we say, that just brings the attention right there towards you. Um, you know, keep that, you know, keep where you're hiding in the spread uniform uh, to pretty much the rest of your spread. Um, don't, don't just, don't just feel like you got to pack them in there tight, uh, taper them off, you know, use other socks around you, use shorter socks around you, stick silhouettes under those socks. Um, there's plenty, plenty of things you can do to kind of avoid that. I, I kind of just, you know, seeing the Facebook group and seeing people, questions people have about these socks. It seems like a lot of guys hadn't really figured out how to use them, which is crazy. Um, and, and that just keeps going back to don't use it as a blind, use it as another decoy in your spread. Um, don't, you know, Put, put one behind you to cast a shadow over you. Put one in front and pull it over your face if you have to, to keep the sun out of your face. Um, you know, just number one, like everybody says, is hide. No matter no matter what you're doing under those socks, you can't, you know, you still got to hide when you're hiding inside the decoys. Uh, whether that's using a layout or a ghillie blanket, what have you. Trevor? Well, the, I always call it the Colgate spread. Like, the toothpaste line you like you can see it from anywhere where where they're at every single time and <clears throat> these little birds that we're talking about this whole podcast like snows and lessers they're they're gonna go like they're gonna go to the mass they're gonna go where the feed is and i think that you can really you can you can kill that toothpaste line by by making it even throughout the spread like will said and you know not not just literally like, hey, this is where we're at right here. And if you can make it even throughout the whole thing, um, you know, break up that straight square line, like even, you know, even run, just run them in a circle, you know, just be different, do something different. Definitely. Definitely. And, you know, I saw it firsthand, you know, Will, they do a really, really nice job tapering their spreads. And by that, by my tapering, I mean, a natural rise in your spread that doesn't look out of place. It looks, it looks correct from above, whether the birds are approaching low with higher wind or they, they get up above you. It looks natural. And, you know, will they, they actually have, you know, they might have 12 chairs out there and, and will will say, Hey, me and so-and-so, you know, one of his, his guides that they're on the same page with, they know the program, they'll set the talls and then they'll, you know, have everybody else say, hey, okay, so-and-so is going to set the lines for the spread. You guys start filling in because there is a method to the madness. It's not just like Will said, it's not your blind. You don't just stick them in the ground and say, hey, these are foolproof. Uh, we can just hide under these and we're just going to, you know, we're just going to smash geese all morning. There is a method that can determine success or failure when using these. I mean, I'm talking as much as um, getting decoys over over in uh, hunters' faces. You know, you might have a perfect decoy outline around every chair and then above you just have these little spaces. But, you know, Will and them, they're like, hey, guys, make sure you take the heads of those decoys and turn those bodies over your legs and over your chest and up by your head because you don't want those little square blocks when the birds get vertical on you of where everybody's laying, you know, so we hunt with a lot of guys and this is the main reason I wanted to do this podcast with these guys because they're both really, really good at laying in the spread. And this is a question we get asked so much um, because people often struggle with it. You know, I think one thing you guys are really going to love about our new chairs, our layout chairs is rather than having to put your stakes 
all the way alongside of you. You know, we've got grommets. We've got actually holes in the chair where you can get those decoys in tighter to you rather than having to rely on, you know, pulling those decoys around and pulling those bodies around. So I think you guys are going to really like it. Oh, yeah. That's that's new news to me right there. When are those going to be out? <laughs> yeah. Can you say that? Um, we're, <laughs> uh, we're making some serious progress. Um, you know, there's there's a chance that, you know, maybe you guys will – be able to work with something like that a little bit sooner than, than, uh, the general public. So well, well, we'll hopefully uh, I'll be trying, trying not to fall asleep in one. <laughs> um, so you, you touched on ghillie blankets briefly. Let's talk about ghillie blankets, how to use them properly. Um, predominantly let's, let's, uh, let's focus on lesser dark geese, lesser Canada geese and specs. Um, let's, let's, uh, start with ghillie blankets and how, they can help you whenever you're laying on backboards and the best way to properly use them. Yeah. Uh, there's no, there's no really wrong way to use a ghillie blanket. Um, one thing is, you know, they all come with a little mesh deal for your face. Uh, you ever going to get in your layout blind and close the doors and then stick your head up out of the mesh? No, you, you look through that mesh when you hunt a layout blind, look through the mesh when you hunt a ghillie blanket. Um, another thing is there's never going to be a ghillie blanket that's going to perfectly match your field. If you, have ghillie blankets and find a field that perfectly matches them. That's freaking awesome. Uh, but it's never going to happen. And so with that being said, you know, that's where you use your decoys to break that, that outline of that ghillie blanket up a little bit, but, um, it's a little bit different for us. You know, we're, we're running clients we're running guys that show up in blue jeans and car hard and we tell them that's okay. And that ghillie blanket helps, um, helps just keep that line uniform right there. Even if it's not perfectly matching the base of the field that you're hunting, then we take those socks and, and break it up with that or break it up with our silhouettes, what have you. Um, you know, with, uh, kind of losing my train of thought there, but as far as the ghillie blankets go, it's, it's just like a layout blind. Main thing is cover your face. You still can't have stuff laying all over the place. Um, you know, when you're hunting layouts, everybody has their thermos up, you know, tucked back behind them. Everybody's stuff is right there concealed still, uh, use that ghillie blanket. I mean, it's a lot wider than just your body is put your stuff over there. Tell your guys, throw their big old Yeti gallon jug, silver thermos under that blanket, uh, just everything that could be out right there to flare birds, it's still going to flare birds. Um, and so when you're hiding in the spread, you got to take that stuff to an extra measure and really, um, you know, really, you know, just dot your T's and cross your eyes, I should say. Now I got to ask, you, was that one of y'all's videos where, you know, because when you're hunting a ghillie blanket, like Will said, they make the viewing window for a reason, put, put it over your head. Look through the mesh viewing window. You can watch the show. You don't have to have your face out to watch watch the show. And keep your arm. You know, most most of these guys, they have, you know, field rest for your gun to keep it, you know, out of that, that uh, red dirt out there in West Texas. But if you keep your arm on the outside of your ghillie blanket, you can, you know, on your right arm, you can use your left, left arm to throw your blanket over your head. And, you know, you're not going to miss out on a lot of opportunity. Was that one of you guys that posted that video of that dude that had his arms under the blanket completely. And then he came up and got all tangled up and everybody was done shooting. And he was shooting after they were like, yeah. they were like long gone. That wasn't either you guys. I, I think it, I think it was one of mine from a water hunt this year. Yes, uh, we, yes, absolutely. We, we, see, we see that all the time. We see that all the time. We call it the net gun effect. And quite honestly, oh I get, I'll get, I'll get tangled up in that sucker all the time as well. I mean, you go to start, you know, you go to reach into one pocket or you start shuffling around a little bit. Next thing you know, you're all wrapped up in that blanket. Go to throw it over you. and It's just all caught up. 
Uh, one thing, one thing we see a lot with them that always gets me, I, I start cracking up when it happens is one guy will be laying next to another. Well, he goes to throw that blanket off a little bit too hard and <laughs> covers, covers up his buddy next to him on the line. That always, that always causes for a little drama in the line. Oh right there. man, dude, that video, I laughed so hard that dude, everybody pops up, you know, it's a good, good bunch too. And they're just working on him, and this dude, he's just fighting, giving it hell, man. And he, uh, I think he sends out a couple just because he he felt the need to to uh, get in on the action. But the birds were at you know at about one fifty by the time he got his first shot off. But um, Trevor Gilly blankets, snow geese. Is there ever a situation that you like to use gilly blankets on snow geese, or you predominantly like to staying uh, in the white suits? Um, I mean, we'll hunt you know those green wheat fields that are like tall four or five inch tall grass that like if you can get a, a blanket that can match that or even close like you can run your spread a lot better with not having to blob it out with being white so if you can get out of the whites in any way if you cannot wear the michelin michelin man suits then <laughs> like the better you're off but it, anytime you can use a ghillie blanket i think that you, you sh- you're crazy not to because everyone's got like everyone's got their thermos especially snow goose hunting like we've got cases of shells going like sure you know i've got i've got a case every single day and if i've got two guides with me hunting like i got two cases like there's no way that i'm going back to the trailer to grab more shells so like you know we'll we'll cover that stuff up with decoys but when you can run when you can run ghillie blankets like you know it just it covers everything up and but you know you're never going to find one that's a perfect perfect situation because sure. snow geese hunting you know you're you're wet like it's muddy wet and like those blankets are going to be 25 pounds and like you guys are saying like you know i don't i don't think that some of these people could even throw one of these blankets they, off they make a mess but, they make a mess when they get muddy that's for sure and, yeah and you pull it back over you and then you're all muddy and it's yeah it snows snows you know there's a time and a place for everything and like I think that goes with every situation. Yeah. Just like you said, how when it's muddy, you know, you might not want to do that. It's, you can't ever, talking about hiding inside the decoys, you can't ever, for, like, don't force yourself to hide inside the decoys if you don't need to. If you have a good edge hide and that X is there, hunt that edge hide. If your X is in the middle of the field and you need to hunt inside the decoys, hunt inside the decoys. If you need to get in the middle of the field and still hide outside the decoys, do that. Um, you know, you got to do different things and throw those birds curveballs and, and, you know, show them something different, but that's, that kind of is where hiding in the spread starts is don't, it's awesome. And and we all love doing it. Who doesn't, but if it's not right to hide in the spread, don't go do it. Um, it's a luxury. If, if you're going to have to put tire tracks and footprints through the snow or make a field that's kind of muddy, just look absolutely sloppy to get in there and hide in the middle of the decoys. You're better off probably trying to pull them to an edge. Um, yeah. you, you gotta, you gotta start with looking at your birds and, and deciding how you need to hunt them. Well, we were talking, we were talking a few days ago about like how your favorite thing, you know, it's like you love hiding on the edge. like, you like shooting geese on, well, I guess crosswind you're saying cross. Yeah. We we don't have that luxury to here very often. When we, when we find a good edge hide up here, we're using it. And I think that, I think that saves those birds. They're not really, they're looking at those decoys and they're not seeing the boogeyman come out of it. But um, yeah, here in West Texas, we can't, we can't really always do that. Yeah. And so like when you have the luxury to be in the spread, there's nothing more fun than having the entire, the entire field the day before trying to sit on your face. Like there's, there's nothing better than that. And so if you can get, if you can get in the spread and everything's right, like 
yeah, it's a luxury, but there's times when that's not the play. Like when you're not going to kill a goose, if you go and hide in the middle of that field, even though they're sitting in the middle of that big, that big hill in that cornfield, you know, the edge is going to be better because it's, it's chisel plowed or whatever, you know, it's like you're going to have a better shoot pulling them 150 yards from where they want to be than flaring them at 150, like right where they wanted. Definitely. I think you guys put it really, really well when you say, and I cannot stress this enough, don't force it. Don't force yourself inside the spread just because you're so hard up to get inside the spread and kill them. Like if it's not there, don't force it. You know, it's like playing basketball, dude. If you got a dude six four that's about to, you know, pack your shit right in your face, you're probably not going to try to, you know, you're probably not going to try to take that shot. Don't get, you know, you're going to get, you're going to, it's not going to turn out well whenever you try to force it and make something happen that's not there. So if the situation doesn't call for it, wait for another day. You know, it's, there's, it's okay to get on an edge. If you need to run a layout blind, on an edge or you need to run an A-frame, you know, just, just read the condition. I think that's something that will and and these guys at Crooked Wings do really, really well. They never ever do the same thing twice. They change constantly. And all you got to do is slide over to their Instagram page and you'll see, look last year, look at the days. It's like December 12th, December 13th, December 14th. I mean, it's, it's every day. Well, it's because they're doing different things. And if you talk to Will, he's not going to say, oh, you have to use this many decoys with this shape inside the spread. He's never going to say that. They're going to show up. There's going to be a lot of times that, honestly, they don't even know what they're going to run until they see that it feels and looks right, and then they go with it. So, Will, can you talk about um, just briefly how important it is to not get pigeonholed into thinking there's one way to, you know, to hunt these things? There's, there's a lot of different ways that you can be successful. Absolutely. No matter, no matter what species, subspecies, where you're at, anything like that, all it comes down to is uh, reading the birds and doing what you feel you need to do. Uh, We're lucky enough to get to hunt these things every day. No matter what the conditions are, we have to hunt them. We learn these concentrations of birds. We know what they want. We know what they don't want to see. But at the end of the day, I see so many guys that are like, okay, I have 40 dozen decoys, 20 of them are socks. What should I do? Where should I hide? What, you know, you really, there's no telling unless like I'm in the chuck scouting with you or you post a video of like what those birds look like in the field. We don't know what area you're at. We don't know who's been beating on those birds for the last two weeks. We don't know how they've been hunting them. Uh, You know, when you're out scouting and you drive by somebody's spread, like, well, yeah, they got them over that spread that day. But if those geese bounce to my field, I'm going to do something completely different than they did because they just, you know, they just showed a card to those geese the day before. It's a big old poker game, you know. Um, there's a lot of days where you might have geese start to spin over you and think you should have called the shot. Call that shot, rain out too. Next group, you let spin, let spin, let spin. Five minutes later, okay, now they're freaking working. Um, the It's just so situational. Um, but the main thing is just don't, don't look at a field and, you know, say, oh, there might be a good edge hide over there. Well, go go roll by that edge hide first. Look at it. You know, uh, don't feel right in the morning. We'll go hunt inside the decoys. Um, there's, a, there's a whole lot of gut instincts that go into doing this. And, you know, just just roll with your gut. If you, if you don't feel comfortable hiding inside the decoys, if it hadn't worked for you in the past, don't do it. Um, but then again, if that's how you can get your birds, you know, and, and 
you also have to be able to distinguish a bad hunt because of the conditions or the birds or like I just said, what happened to them the day before for the previous month before uh, you got to take a lot of things into consideration when you have a bad hunt um, before deciding that it's something you did because nine times out of 10, you have a bad hunt. It's, it's probably not something you did. I say nine times out of 10, <laughs> maybe, maybe five times out of 10. Yeah. There's a lot of days. Yeah. There's a lot of days end. where, you know, if I don't, if I don't get them nine times out of 10, it's the birds. There's, there's very few days where you don't get them and you're like, golly, if I should have done that, I would have got right. them. You know, you know what I'm saying? Um, and, and that, when that happens, most of the time it's gosh, dang it. I should have been on that edge or gosh, dang it. I should have been in the middle of those decoys. Um, yeah. that's pretty much what, you know, what it comes down to. If we get a lot of guys, you know, I have a group of 12 guys and nobody's ever set a spread before. Nobody knows how to do it. We set the most hodgepodge looking spread and absolutely wax them. And then there's days where it's just an absolute beauty of a spread. You're taking pictures of it in the sunrise and those geese treat you like you're, you know, they just, you just can't do nothing with them. So it's, um, it's so situational. Don't ever force anything, you know, hunt, hunt the way, hunt the way you need to hunt. Right. One thing I think that, that, both of you guys do really well that that a lot of people overlook are those you know kind of like you said sometimes there's just uncontrollable factors you're hunting a wild animal that can be very very unpredictable at times but in this game there are a lot of controllable factors and there's some minor things at least minor things on the grand scheme of 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 things whenever you start talking about location hide calling decoys there's some minor things that can make a huge difference and the success and the failure of your hunt. Um, you know, we're talking about things like you said, leaving things in the field, tire tracks, looking like you did a donut out there. The birds are coming from the roost the last three days they've been in there. All of a sudden they show up and there's decoys and blinds and there's tire tracks. Uh, people scouting the afternoon before, uh, getting too close, making those birds uncomfortable. Trevor, what are some things that you think that – People really, really overlook. They get caught up in in the the big factors, the hunting factors, the the decoys, the numbers, the shape, the size. But what are some of those smaller things that you think the majority of waterfowl hunters overlook that ultimately have a much bigger impact than they realize? Just with the going with like hiding in the spread. Just in general, man, it, from from scout, uh, I'm, we're just talking. Well, now I'm, I'm opening this up to the whole ball game, not so much inside yeah, yeah. the spread. If you want to touch inside the spread, um, yeah, please do. So, but this is the whole ball game right now. I mean, man, like I'm fortunate enough to be able to guide. Like, you know, I'll probably I'll probably run like 150 hunts a year, but I, you know, I'll be I'll be in it for 220 days. And it's like I have so much more opportunity to get this experience to live and learn the shit that you know i get smacked in the face probably more than a lot of the guys in the industry because i'm out there hunting more you're like yeah there's guys who kill way more birds than me there's guys who know way more than me and but like i'm out there every like every damn day of the season and like obviously not this year been missing two weeks of north dakota already but like being out there and seeing it all like i mean you got it it's not just setting it you don't just get a pull into a field throw your decoy spread and call it good like you got to scout you got to get permission that you got there's everything that goes into it and hiding's the biggest thing and like like will said like 
you know, shouldn't have been in the spread that day or I should have been in the spread that day. It's every situation, every location, state to state, like county to county, man, like a different roost, like everything's different. And I think the number one thing that people do that like, you know, gets themselves into a slump or don't kill anything all year is they do the same thing and they don't, they don't try to, to go out of their, out of their little box and try something different. And like, I mean, we get, we get the opportunity to do that, but we're, we're doing it with clients too. And, and Will said this earlier, um, like when we were talking, it's like, it's gotta be the most educated guess you've ever done in your entire life to be able to try something new on a group of birds that you've been hunting this whole time. And for you to say, yo dude, like we're going to, we're going to throw like 25 dozen at these things and sit on the edge, even though we've been killing them over a hundred dozen in the middle. But like we shot them yesterday, but that like something feels like we should try something different because of this, 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 like that's that right there would be the biggest gamble anyone would ever take. But like being out there, seeing this stuff, like, you know that's going to kill those birds. Like you know that that little tiny bit of a difference can can make or break it, and like turn it from a good hunt to a great hunt, and a great hunt to an epic hunt. Exactly. You know, you there's many days where you're like, oh man, these birds are getting tough, and I stale weather, whatever. Because a lot of our geese, we don't we get a few big pushes a year, and we're shooting on the same geese, and so there's many days where you go into a field and you're like, man, I I know I can go in here and kill twenty. 30 and we need 50 but if i do this and it works and we're gonna freaking slam them in and out quick but if this doesn't work then i just gave up being able to guaranteed go in there and shoot 20 or 30 so when we're trying new things it's uh like trevor just said it's gotta be a super educated guess uh to where we're not taking paying clients in on a on a recon mission you know what i'm saying right um and then you know like you were asking trevor if things that many people overlook uh people don't treat these birds right. Like not, I'm not saying like they go in there and kill too many or anything like that or hunt them too hard, you know? Uh, and it's not like, this is stuff that needs to be said. It's not giving away secrets to tell people to not park too close to them when they're scouting. Like, why is it, you know, why are you going to go pull down the turn row when you're scouting going to hunt that field in the morning to take a snapshot of them all blowing up? Like you just made them uncomfortable. Uh, watch them, you know, sit there. If those geese are going to feed in that field from 2 p.m. until sunset, go make another lap and come back and watch and watch them and set up where they were the evening before. And, you know, when you get done shooting them in the morning, if those, if you kill your lemon in 20 minutes and there's still birds trying to get into the field left and right, and that was the best hunt you ever had in your life, throw every damn decoy in a pile in the trailer and haul ass to the shop to put them in the bags. Don't sit there and take pictures and stage pictures. And, and I mean, you see these guys and they're taking videos and pictures and staging, throwing the bird for the dog, for the dog to go get after the hunt and taking pictures of the dog. Like get the heck out of there. Let those birds get in there and go shoot them again tomorrow. Um, I would tell everybody, I mean, we have the same tools in our arsenal available every day that a lot of other people do. I mean, you know, we might have bigger spreads, but that's just because we hunt bigger groups and some of your weekend guys may have. And uh, we hunt, you know, a lot of days that if we shoot limits to geese for 15 days in a row or whatever, I mean, that's the same concentration of birds. We're, we're playing our cards right to get them to last like that. And so, um, it's, you know, you might have, might have a group of birds that you want to go wait till two days when you have a wind to go hunt. So you hunt different ones the next day. Uh, treat, treat the birds right from, from the time you find them on the side of the road. Don't sit too close to them. Let them eat, let them be comfortable. Um, 
you got to treat these birds right and they'll treat you right. You can't just go, you can't just go run around 90 miles per hour on every County road, blowing every feet up in there. You're just stirring yeah. the beehive. I mean, these things, they're getting hunted more now than ever up and down the flyways in our area and every area. I mean, it, everybody wants to do this. Everybody wants to hunt waterfowl because it's freaking awesome. It's the best thing in the world. But at the same time, if everybody doesn't stop just harassing these birds in the few hours a day, they get to chill out and enjoy their lives then yeah dude. they're just going to keep on being freaked out you're going to see bird i mean we saw see it every year you know piles of birds will get shot so hard they leave the roost in one big flock and when that happens you know you're not going to do anything with them they're going to spin over you and go somewhere else then you leave the field they literally see you leave the field and they go get back in there um and that's just all, all boils down to them not being being treated how they should be you gotta you gotta baby these birds I think another thing that's super overlooked is that like when, when you go in and get your ass kicked on a hunt, like you're like, Oh dude, the birds are stale or oh, like this should, we should have done this, should have done that. But it's like, dude, it probably wasn't your decoy spread. It probably wasn't your calling. It probably wasn't because you were calling too much or too little. There's probably something else way down the line before that you messed up on or slacked on or missed out on that, you know, you, maybe you didn't sit there and watch those birds till dark. And, you know, your worst enemy drove down the road and kicked him out because he knows that you're about to hunt it tomorrow. And, and that's you go the set thing. Up 20 like, dudes and you go set up 20 dudes in the field and every single bird goes over to his field. And you're just like, dude, what the hell? And so, like, those birds are going to be harder for him to hunt. They're going to be harder for you to hunt. And exactly, there's, there's every aspect. I think the most overlooked thing in waterfowl hunting is that not every single aspect of the whole entire hunt is taken into perspective every single time. And we have to, we have to, we can't, we get fired if we don't. Dude, if we like, if we slack on one thing, man, if we don't, if we don't get a field, that's the, like, that's not even a worry. Like you, you're, you're just screwed from there. If you don't have a field to hunt, you like, you messed up 50 things down the line before that. Like yeah. these birds are creatures of habit. I've, I've shot geese in winter wheat fields with, propane cannons going off i mean sitting there 100 yards away from a propane cannon that's going off while you're decoying birds and you're still shooting them in the field because well those birds when that farmer put the propane cannon in there he put that in there because he didn't want us to hunt he was going to take care of those geese his own way and then three days later he calls us back the propane cannon is not working well because for three days nothing happened to them besides this big old boom every five minutes and they got comfortable with it and so, you know, when you go, you go set up in a field, same way every day, day in and day out, those birds, they get accustomed to it. You got to, got to keep an ace in your hole, start small in, in the season with the bigger spread, start small. If you have, if all you've got 40 dozen decoys, don't go throw them all out on day one. Um, Definitely. Um, just, one thing, yeah. Will, that I've heard you speak on quite a lot, and it's the way you like to set your decoys, particularly when you're dealing with, with wind, which is most of the time where you guys hunt and talking about the white on the rear ends of those Canada's. Can you talk yep. a little bit about that? I mean, the, the sock Canada decoys, they're painted just like a Canada goose and they have a, the underside of their butts are white. And when it's a super, if it's a super windy day and you get those socks not set, you know, completely parallel to the ground or hanging down a little bit, then you just got this death wobble of those white asses flashing around. Like what are the geese doing somersaults or in the field? <laughs> it, doesn't, it just doesn't look right. And um, that's another thing is, you know, 
going back to not forcing a hide, like don't force a certain type of spread. If you're walking back from parking the trucks and you see these decoys, they just don't look right. You're the wind blowing 80 and your socks are freaking thrashing all over the place, which these dive bomb socks, they really don't. But you just, if something doesn't look right in your spread, whether it's, you know, the first two groups of geese that come to you off the roost, you're not going to kill them because you're making an adjustment. It's, it's going to help you out in the long run. Uh, you'd ra- I'd rather let two groups of geese fly over me when I'm trying to get my spread right so I can decoy the rest of them and not just have a big old chain flying over my back all day. Um, you know, it's uh, a lot of times it hurts these birds more than anything to set up in a field the wrong way and, and absolutely booger them like that. Most of the time you get in and out, kill your birds real quick, and they don't even know what happened. They get right back in there when you leave. Right. Um, definitely, man. Yeah, definitely. So I, I like to go back on what you said, kind of going off on a rant. Yeah, there, that for sure. Setting those, setting those tall socks is um, I don't like everybody to do it. I like to kind of kind of lead the charge on that or, or have have one other person help me if we got a big line of guys to cover up um, i like to have my socks very uniform you know setting a setting a late season snow goose spread or something like that running 100 dozen socks like oh my gosh i probably sound like the damn stickler just left and right hollering at people i'll spend most of that time going and picking up decoys whose asses are up in the air flagging you know it's gotta it's gotta look right and if it doesn't if it doesn't look right it could take one decoy that's just going side to side zigzagging like the dang balloon man outside the car dealership to to ruin a hunt and if you can't <laughs> if you can't pinpoint pinpoint what's what's ruining your hunt right. then uh, but you guys aren't out there fun hunting you know you're not fun hunting this is your life this is how you put exactly. food on the table um so you do have to give good attention to detail and clients are paying for a premium experience and you're just doing everything you can do based on what you've learned and your knowledge of those birds to give them what they paid for. So exactly. it's not like you're just out there hunting with your buddies. You know, it's you. At some point, you you know, when it doesn't work out, it, it's it's not just like ah, you know, we'll give them a shot tomorrow. It's like man, gosh dang, you know that guy and his son. They've you know been looking forward to this trip for two years. You know, it sucks. Nobody wants to do that. I mean, it's not even fun with your buddies. But whenever you got people paying for a premium experience you know, you want to give them a premium experience because, you know, naturally it's just, it's not something people get to witness, you know, thousands of lesser Canada geese spiraling down on top of your head. And you want people when they come out there to hunt with Crooked Wings Outfitters, you want them to, to get that experience. So, uh, you know, taking pride in your work, it's what you guys do. I mean, it's how you, it's how you feed yourselves. It's how you feed your families. Exactly. And there's, there's no other way, but, but to go into it, wanting to give those guys the best hunt of their life. And my boss will laugh at me all the time. I mean, they, once a week I'm calling him like a kid in the candy store. That was the best hunt of my life. Like, no, that was a 500th goose limit hunt you shot in your life, but that was the best <laughs> hunt of my life. You know, it's just right. like every day, every day is so different that like literally once a week I can be like, that was the best hunt of my freaking life. Definitely. Yeah. And, uh, cool. and that's just, I, even the weekend guys, I mean, I don't know why anybody that like, if I didn't like it, I would really imagine this would really suck. Like nobody does that. Nobody waterfowl hunts that doesn't like it. So if you're not going to go into it with, with the passion and the desire to, to give everything you have to kill those birds, whether that's giving up a week and scouting every day or burning everything you got and diesel fuel, like whatever, you know, what in the, why in the world are you doing this if you're not going to give it everything you have and pay attention to every little single detail there is out there because every little detail makes a difference. Definitely. Um, I guess while we're, you know, kind of slightly gone down this rabbit hole, talking about 
clients and good experiences. Trevor, worst client experience you've ever had? Oh, man. Um, can I say something real fast before I forget? Absolutely. Um, Please. <laughs> so, like, you know, we're out there every day hunting and stuff. And, like, we're talking about, like, all these educated guesses. And, and like, Will was talking about it the other day. It's like, you know, these clients, like, you know, we're out here every day. And so for us to be – for us to give every single client – the hunt that every single one of them wants every single time it's not possible right. you can't like we're hunting wild birds you know and like if you get you know if you go out on a three-day hunt and you know you get you get the bone all three days like you know that's that's something that's something where where like you know you have three times of a chance to make that right and if you can't do something in those three days, like you fucked up basically. That's, I, I will agree with that a hundred percent. I mean, these guys are coming hunt, hunt with us, they're, they're hunting for two or three days and you have two bad hunts and, and you absolutely put every chuck on the road to find that third hunt for the third day. And they zeroed for two days in a row and you show them, okay, look, we know what the hell we're doing. They're going to come back. But uh, yeah. if you have guys there's coming no in and hunting for two or three days, there's no excuse to not, not get them on any good stuff. Yeah, I mean, we had like, you, of course, there's those groups. Like last year, we had a group of four in Arkansas, and it was like, uh, it was like, hey, you can have these three days off, or we can book this group of four, and it was like prime time, and we shot, we shot 94 with this group of four the first morning, shot 74 the second day, and I think we shot like 23 the third, and those guys wouldn't talk to us when they walked out of the field. They thought that because we shot so many geese the first two days with those guys that we gave up and just quit the third day. Well, our roost got jumped and we had guys pass shooting shit off the road in between us. And we still, like, we still shot into some volleys. Like, mind you, those were four dudes shooting, like, you know, almost 70, 80 birds in on average every day. And, like, they were still pissed off. And so, like, you know, have the guys that come in and they don't, they just like they pick a shitty day on the calendar like yo dude we just like we literally just all of our birds just left like the day you, you rolled into town i don't know what to tell you like we're gonna give it everything we have but you know that's uh these you guys they, so much you set your dates up six months in advance you know and, and a lot of times it's weather and granted weather there's there's never an excuse if you you know there's never an excuse in this line of work but um, if you, you pick your days and you come hunt and, and the weather just is not there, I mean, it, we could have, it's been stale for two weeks and then all of a sudden it's like extra stale and not windy and 75 degrees in the morning. Like it's hard to make something happen, but th there's that, uh, it just is uh, as an outfitter and talking on the phone and rebooking these clients every year. It's the most rewarding thing when, when a group like that from the next year, where you see that number start ringing in your phone again in the summer and you're like, damn. They called me back. We we had a tough go at them last year with these guys, but but they know what you're capable of, and right. uh, and they understand that it's that weather. And man, we're so uh, we're so thankful to have so many good clients that um, that understand that and hunt, and and our our rate of return clients is is so high. It's, we're, we're super blessed for that. That um, definitely makes my job easy, and uh, and all of the boys' jobs easy. And it's and it's awesome. It turns into friends. You know, you're hunting hunting with your friends. You don't feel that pressure. You know. Even I've been doing this for a while now, not half as long as some of the guys out there. Um, I'm still young, but 
uh, I still get antsy and, and, you know, butterflies in your stomach when you're hunting a group of guys that you've never hunted before. Cause you don't know what to expect out of them. They don't know what they're going to get out of you. And, um, that's, that's part of the thrill of it, I guess. But No, definitely. And, and sometimes in this industry, it's kind of funny. I've seen people that's been pissed off because they shot out too fast. You know, people that's like, man, that, that was bullshit. Like two volleys and we're done. You know, the sun is not even crept up hardly over the horizon and they've shot out, you know? So then as a guide, you're like, what the hell? Like, if you don't shoot out, you're a loser. You shoot out too fast. You're a loser. Really? Like, what the hell do you want to draw this thing out till 11 o'clock? And I get it. You know, you get it from a client standpoint. They only hunt three days a year, maybe in some situations and they want to really take it all in. But it's like, Hey man, when it's right, it's right. Like, yeah, <laughs> uh, for sure. But okay. So, um, I want to ask one question, Trevor, and we get asked this one quite a lot. Can you hunt big geese and by big geese i mean jumbos uh the big the big dogs can you hunt big geese from inside the spread yes with with the socks correct that's correct yes so i think one thing that like that you you'd obviously have to play it different with that um like i'll be i'll be real honest with you i i don't know if i've I mean, I've shot the big geese here and there that'll come into the lesser spread, you know, but, um, I mean, I think if you were to try to target honkers in a honker only area, you know, say like North Dakota early season or something like that, and you got a good wind and obviously you're not going to be able to throw your lesser spread where you're going to be able to hide and do your thing to where you can, you know, make your blob and run your fingers out and do it, do what you need to do. But I think that if you, if you make it seem like there's nothing going on at all, I think that you can kill any bird in any situation with any type, you know, with any, with any like style of decoy, soccer, silo, tall or short. And like Will was saying, like there's days where like you, you, the tall socks are just, they're just too tall. You got like, you can get away with the hiding in the short socks, hide in the fucking short socks. Like I think that, I think that that's kind of the kind of like the biggest point with it. No, I, I agree. I think, um, like you said, I think when the situation is right, you can absolutely do it. Now I, I try to tell people when they're, you know, upper Midwest, Northeast, predominantly chasing big Canada geese. I'm like, Hey, heavy, heavy silhouette, you know, heavy, a lot of days, hundred percent silhouettes. And I'm like, there's a time and a place you can mix in, some socks give you that little physical movement that yeah. you may be lacking from the silhouettes, but don't go, don't go crank those socks out there hunting jumbos whenever the wind's over 15 miles an hour, you know, big geese, One they're not that, aggressive. They're, they're not, they're not, you know, it's, they don't get that jealousy, that aggression, like, Oh, I got to get to the front and get to get to the front. You know, snow geese, man, those bat, those, you know, those aggressive, greedy bastards they're gonna make their way to the head of the spread they do not want to miss out on the action that's going on dude big canada geese will shortstop your ass all day and be like you we're gonna keep our little family group over here we're gonna yeah. hang out and do our thing dude when you're calling at canada's in the early season like the like they're they're in defense mode right there they want you to be away from their food they're gonna say get away from my babies and they're going to be like, yo, give me my space. That's why everyone always says like early season geese like their space. 
man, you get pissy and moany with those things. And like, you can make them pissed off to where they want to come in and take what food you're eating. And so like with the socks and stuff like that is like, dude, you can get out of that spread and make those geese. Like you can, you can, you can put honkers where you want them so easy. And like, you know, people can hate me for saying that, whatever, but like, dude, I've drawn X's in the field and literally picked up 15 geese off of that X in a day. Like it's, the 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 Canada geese, the like when you're calling it a goose, you're actually not saying, "Hey, come hang out." You're actually saying, "Get away from me." Get the like, hell away from me. Yep. Yeah, you got your you you got your greeting hail call. So it's like, "Yo, I'm here." But those spits and moans and all those clucks and shit, when you see those geese sticking their head out in the field, like that's those are the noises they're making. They're saying, "Get away from me, dude." Like until we need and until we use our flock system to stay safe, like back off you know it was so, so like, funny you, like, you run yeah yeah like last weekend you know like kind of going off that you would you would watch a feed in the field and you would watch a group come up and approach that group like you know live birds spread out in the field and they're gonna go off and do their own thing they're gonna go land on their own so then it becomes a game of trying to figure out okay i just watch these geese um you know skirt or shortstop a huge feed of spaced out live geese so how in the hell tomorrow morning are we going to plan on getting these Decoy. things exactly Decoy. getting within shotgun range so then it becomes a game of like you said you're kind of playing that i mean hell these geese they don't they haven't even formed patterns yet you know a lot of these no. birds, they have formed there's no pattern there's no consistency they're following mom and dad they don't even have their own mind yet and they really don't want and to be social no no and like like what you're saying there with with these geese that are, you know, you're watching them land in the field. Like I've, I posted a bunch of videos from a hunt the other day, um, in North Dakota and we were hiding, we were hiding in the silos. And then the next day we hid outside of them and stubbled up wheat fields or in, uh, layout blinds. And so like we shot them straight there. We were shooting them at like 30 yards. And so instead we went and put our decoys like 25 yards behind us, hid way in front of them. And we were shooting geese at like five yeah. feet because that's like, that's, you know, we figured out the distance that they were landing away from the other ones. And we were calling super quiet and super, super nasty, like blowing it into our layout blinds, like to make it sound like we're back there behind us. And like, dude, those things were just hanging feet. Like they, they didn't know where to go. Like we, we, we shot the piss out of them. Yeah. I think, I think all that's to say like, Hey, Pick your battles with socks and big Canada geese. Lean heavy, lean heavy on silhouettes. If you run full bodies, run full bodies, keep them loose. If you run full bodies and silhouettes and want to mix them, you can do that. Um, as the season progresses and they start to get in a little bit more uh, pattern mode, then you can start playing around with different ideas because ultimately it goes back to all these species and we've touched on it with lessers keep stuff in your back pocket. Like don't do the same thing all the time. You might come out one day and you might run uh, five to one um, silhouettes to, to socks on big can of geese. One day you might run five or, or six of them, you know I mean? Just, just uh, keep it natural, make it look organic and make adjustments as the season progresses. And people still got to realize, I know it, it's always said and said again, but those silhouettes are creating motion. You're creating an illusion of motion to these birds. Um, so don't think that you got to throw a sock in your spread just to create sure. motion because you're, you're running a whole spread that essentially is an illusion. 
definitely. Um, at least for little geese and, and what that goes. I haven't hunted many honkers in my life, but those honkers aren't running around the field like a little goose is. A sock, you know, a sock sitting there looks like a goose bottling its butt off right. just trying to keep scooping up grain. Yeah. Definitely. You always have the argument that says, you know, geese need to see backs. Big geese need to see backs. They're like, you know, you can't kill. Like that was, dude, that was such a, that was the dumbest thing ever that was going around like four years ago. Oh, you can't kill big geese and solos. And it's just like, dude, I'm raking heads in these things right now, dude. Like it's the easiest thing I've ever done, dude. You go set 20 dozen decoys and that's a huge honker spread. And you're just like, you're basically shooting these things off the ground like a foot off the ground dragging their feet getting ready to land like it the the whole the whole thing with everything dude it just goes back like will said it's just all about the situation yeah i just it uh it's frustrating me people you know seeing people oh should i buy 20 dozen v2s or should i buy 10 dozen v2fs like it it, it really doesn't matter that much i mean if, what you're comfortable with using is huge you know i personally run the v2fs if Tomorrow you sent me a brand new spread of V2s and said, run these every day this season and don't run anything else. I'd run those and we'd still be successful. You can be successful over anything you use. You just have to dot your T's and cross your I's. And it starts with treating those birds right. You know, don't scare them when you're scouting. It starts with hiding. It starts with calling. Um, every Everything you have in that trailer and in your arsenal and what you've learned is a tool to use to your advantage. Definitely. My senior year of high school, I hunted every day of the season uh for geese and i think there was 15 days of the whole season that i didn't limit out and i ran two x landers with one other buddy every day and we threw three dozen of those old ffd green headgear lessers and we were hunting honkers and we'd throw three dozen of them and we would just smash every single day because we're hunting unpressured birds and we knew where they wanted to be every single day and like dude if i went back into that valley where i grew up hunting and tried to like hunt these geese now and i try to go and hunt every like if i tried to run it like i know a honker hunt anywhere else and get you know just get shoe raked all day and probably not kill shit it's you gotta adapt to everything definitely no doubt well so so real quick i'm just gonna touch on some of the things we talked about and then we're gonna finish it up with with a couple questions for you guys a couple fun questions so first of all um avoid the blob no rectangular boxes no blobs, toothpaste, make it uniform, whether it's tight uniform, loose uniform, make it uniform, make it look natural. Okay. Uh, there are such things as too many talls. You can't have too many talls. Believe it or not, you don't need 15 talls per hunter. Dozen, dozen and a half. Some, some occasions call for less than that. Okay. Um, taper your spread. Talls with the other decoys, mix evenly. Talls, shorts, shorts as in standard S3F Canada's and your silhouettes. Okay. Make it look natural. Uh, keep decoys in front of your faces. Have them guys turn the heads of those things. Cover their body. Cover them up. Those decoys, those butts, little slight angle at the ground, especially when the wind's blowing, especially the ones from your waist down, okay? Uh, keep yourself hidden. Keep yourself covered. Don't leave a bunch of extra stuff laying in the field that's not necessary. You guys that carry your purses uh, to the field with you, leave those in the trailer, okay? Um, if you can't cover it under, right, under your ghillie blanket I or under your blind, Take it with you, okay? Take it with you. Don't leave shit laying around in the field. Every little thing makes a difference. Use a ghillie blanket if the situation calls for it. Cover your head. Get covered up with a ghillie blanket. Hunting in the spread is an absolute blast. About the most fun you can have waterfowl hunting when it's done properly. 
just take the time to do it right. And then all these small little things that we talked about, your scouting, let birds, let them, let them be comfortable. Don't mess with them. Tire tracks, in and out. Know your route. Know the way you're going to take. If you can avoid having other trucks drive in, do so. They don't look natural from from the air. Birds, they they know what that ground looks like. They've been going back and forth, especially guys like these guys in Lubbock that are hunting wintering birds. They're hunting the same birds constantly. So be smart about that. Um, you know, there's a lot of little things that can make a big, big difference. And I think we touched uh, on a quite a few of those things. So uh, before I get into these rapid fire questions for you guys, is there anything else uh, that you'd like to add, Will? Man, we, we covered a lot of it. Just, um, just like we've said over and over again, read the situations, read the birds. Don't force a hide. Don't, uh, don't think you have to hunt a certain way because somebody else is doing it Hunt a different way because somebody's hunting that way. Um, just, just get creative with it, um, to within reason, you know, um, do try something different every day. You might try something different for three days in a row. And then on day four, you end up with something that you've never done in your life before, but you know, it's going to work because of what you've kind of built on for a few days before that. Um, just switch it up on these birds and everybody needs to treat these birds right. Everybody's hunting the same birds. Um, everybody's hunting the same, same birds and uh, same areas, even all up and down the flyway. Treat, treat your birds and treat everybody else's birds right. If you go and Go and harass somebody else's birds. I mean, first off, that's that's illegal. Uh, but second off, you're gonna have to hunt those birds eventually in a couple of days, probably because they're gonna they're gonna end up on you before long. So, Trevor, you got anything you want to add uh, to this this topic, this conversation, or just waterfowling in general to help yourself be more successful or consistent? Well, I mean, that's it right there: consistency and like learning every day instead of just going out and hunting and hoping that you kill a bunch, like. Try, try to take that as like a lesson, you know, like each day that you go out there, like, I mean, for, for the people, it's your job, like it's your, it's your job, dude. Like what else do you have to do? You know, make make it as like the best you possibly can and for the people who are doing it on the weekends. Like, man, give it everything you got. Like, you know, the more effort you put into it, the, you know, the better you're going to be, you know, it might not be the next hunt, but it might be four hunts when you shouldn't have killed anything. And that one little thing you did changed it all. And you just beat the piss out of them. But you like, you know, you got to realize what those things are. And like, that's what makes a successful hunter. It's what makes a killer. Like they, they realize what they do wrong and realize what they do. Right. And you just got to, got to be aware of those things. If that's what you're trying to do, get better every day. I think that's as good of a thing as we've said in this hour is anything is learn from your mistakes the best the best don't you don't learn anything whenever you're on that red hot field that they've been hammering nonstop and you can just throw out any spread you can be out there naked doing jumping jacks and they're going to come in you're not learning anything on those days learn from the grinds learn from the tough ones what you did to endure get through it and scratch out a good hunt that maybe was maybe was average for you but it was spectacular to a client find a way to make things happen when things look like they don't want to happen, you know, find a way, learn from your mistakes. I think that's absolutely awesome. Don't keep doing the same thing. Don't be one of those guys that thinks you have it all figured out. I don't care if same way with baseball, man, I don't care if you've been playing for freaking 10 years or you've been playing 60 years. Some of the best guys I was ever around had coaches 75 years old 
that are talking about learning new stuff every day from rookies. And the same thing applies to waterfowl hunting, whether you're 17 or you're 60. Oh, I've been doing this forever. This is how we've been doing it. It's like, man, soon as you think that you've got it all figured out, you're going to get humbled very, very quickly. So take the things yeah. that work for you, apply them, continue to get better. And you're going to look up and you're going to, your success is going to reflect uh, the things you've learned and the, the lessons you've been applying. So I want to do something fun really quick. And I want to do a rapid fire uh, question deal. This will be kind of fun. And Will, I'm going to start with you. Okay. So the first one is, who do you look up to the most in this industry? Man, um, I I definitely say Tony Vandemort, not from a... I mean, not from anything but an outfitter standpoint. The guy's a killer. He's been doing it for forever. Uh, you know, I grew up watching his videos on YouTube and DVDs and stuff like that. Um, the, the guy just, he's a businessman. And that's what, uh, uh, you know, you don't hear many guys that, that leave that. And, and, you know, bad hunt, good hunt. You should leave a lodge and, and leave a trip with with good things to say about your guides and, and the experience you had. And uh, that's kind of what I strive to be is is a is a good businessman in this industry, okay. not somebody that's trying. Who have you learned the most up. from in this industry? Man, learned the most from probably be uh, the the first guy I started running for Scott Clary on the prairie. Um, man, he was around the days of heydays of the prairie. Learned from some of the pioneers of outfitting in Texas, and uh, he taught me a lot about running big groups of clients. Um, a lot about the organized chaos of running an outfit. And then when I moved up to Lubbock, my boss, Evan took me under his wing and he taught me, taught me what I needed to know about hunting up here and how he, he wanted his business ran and kind of rolled with that. So between Evan and Scott, I've had a couple, couple good teachers. And then there's obviously guys like Dusty Brown and people like that, that have ran in this area that, um, you know, I've, I've never hunted with Dusty, but I, I look up to stuff he does. He's was here before anybody else really was. And, killed it up here um you know they they hunt hunted back then in the late 90s the same way that we do now and i think that's kind of cool uh, people need to look up to those old school guys and and not uh not idolize those people that are staging pictures on their instagram after a hunt um and, you know i feel like people are looking up to their own guys in this industry you can get on youtube and find some grainy ass videos from 2005 or what have you early 90s whenever you know go uh go go get a vcr player and try to get your hands on some of tim ground's old tapes i mean it's cool to see guys in the 90s like hunting the same exact way we do right now on the same ground that we are definitely like i think that's cooler than anything i could give a crap about guys my age that are killing them i mean anybody can kill them right now but i think it's cool the guys that pioneered the sport and then those businessmen like tony vandemore that have taken it to another level and just built an empire definitely if you could hunt with one person dead or alive who would it be oh man um that's a tough one i'd I'd probably have to say tim grounds just because of how many people he's taught and how many uh how many killers you know maybe a generation above me or just a little bit older than me that he's taught how to kill birds there's a lot of good ones that have come from from tim some of the best if you're competing for birds same birds one field over who's the last guy you want to see over there Mm, I, i don't know probably uh probably somebody that doesn't know what they're doing honestly well whoever that is that's a, that's a pretty good one honestly i didn't even yeah, think I mean, about that like, yeah. honestly, like honestly hunter Derek, anybody in this area if we're side by side in the field we're both going to kill our birds um but i know that somebody like that isn't about to shoot 
at a bird, a single at 80, when I got a group of, you know, 200 working me, they're going to watch the show. And then I'm going to watch the show over my shoulder when they start doing it in a couple minutes. Um, uh, so I would have to definitely say somebody that, that's trying to be a right. dick because either I'm running next to them or doesn't know what they're doing. That's a good answer. Hard. I wasn't even thinking about that. I was just naturally my mind was going to the guy that's like <laughs> the total badass, but not the top water that has no clue what he's doing out there. So, Trevor, we're going to ask you the same questions. Who do you look up to the most in this industry? Um, I would have to say uh guy that kind of picked me up like under my wing when I was like uh, 14 probably uh trevor austin he's like man he's he's rode me this whole way you know he's he's helped me with anything i've ever needed on anything and um i mean i've learned a ton from him but you know it's it's been more of like instead of just a guy that i met through another company he's like he's like my big my big brother now so probably i'd have to say him but i you know i was just kind of like the first person i really met and the whole thing that that did it all and I don't know, just kind of never, never pushed me aside a single second. Right. So who have you learned the most from in this industry? Uh, I would have to say Yoder, man, Jake Whiteman. Like that dude is a f- born and bred fucking killer through and through. I don't care what, you, what anyone says, like that dude gets shit done every single time. I've heard and, things about him. I really enjoyed our and time the, with Jake and Manitoba. Dude, I've, I've, that, I've had fun getting to know Jake the last couple of years. He's, he's man, like one of the best people I've ever met in my life for sure. And like that dude, he just has so much passion for it that it's, it's almost gross or nasty. He'd say, he'd say it's nasty. Mm-hmm. Like dude, it's, it, 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 he just has, he's been doing it. Like he's been decoying snow geese since he was like nine years old, dude. Like he's been doing it just as long as like most of these guys that are 40, 40 years old, you know, like snow geese used to not be a thing. And a lot of people don't know that. Like, you know, he, he's in it from the start. Like, like, you know, he, when, when you talk, when you talk about snow goose killers, like he's, he's one of the top five people you say, and you know, take that as you will, but that like he's up there on on it every single time. All right, if you could hunt with one person, dead or alive, who would it be? Um, man, that's a tough one. There. See, I got a I got a meet hunter hunter grounds last year with Cody. Um, about this time last year, actually, we got to go to the warehouse and everything, um, or their shop, and got to meet Hunter and all this and. You know, he tuned up a call and gave me a call and all that stuff. But like, dude, you you walk into that shop and there's something that that kind of like takes over you, but you're not really like sure what it is. And like, dude, there's all the pictures and all like the bass fishing tournament trophies and world goose calling contests and duck trophies that are broken. Like, dude, you you walk upstairs in that shop and there's there's floor space to walk, but everything else is taken up by like championship like world championship trophies and shit he he is uh arguably and i don't even know i mean it'd be a slight argument but the best to ever blow a goose call in the history of of ever he's he's the first he's basically like it's you know it's like he's the first one to really like do it he's the one who started he's this he set the standard you know and when hunter i think he was like man, I think he was 15 or 16 years old. He like 
won world goose and by like 19 he had to retire because he right is absolutely like, incredible that, so yeah, that, that that's that's not just a you know that's not just a coincidence like oh these guys know how to blow a goose call like dude he's the best there ever yeah is. i mean honest honest to god I, I think like, he's the best there that's ever ever done it in the history of doing it ever, he's the best yeah without really a, without a doubt um, so i would have to i would have to say tim grounds on that i would have to say if i could get in on a hunt with hunter and tim at the same time that would be it um competing for birds who's the last guy you want to see in that field over there let's talk about snow geese a, a person snow geese. so yep. what will was saying is that like if two guys set up next to each other you both are going to shoot your birds man i've been i've had my jaw knocked so many fucking times over a barbed wire fence hunting snow geese because someone set up a spread that morning 50 yards away from ours and i say yo dude what are you doing and they're like you know, it, it, it just escalates so fast that it like, like, like Will said, someone who doesn't know what the fuck they're doing, but like, all right, I'm not going to let gonna, you guys like, off that easy. I want to know the guy that you're I'm like, tell, I'm going to say, I'm going to say a name, all right. Right now. but what it is, is though with snows, man, one guy's going to kill him and the other isn't. And that person that I, that I, and the person that I don't think I would want to hunt next to is Cooper Sutherland. All right, Will that dude lesser canada geese i'm not gonna let you off that easy who's the other mm. guy it's okay being confident saying well there's nobody i'm gonna kill him but who's that guy no. who's that guy <laughs> man probably uh probably hunter just or, you know any there's, there's somebody that knows that here. area and those birds really well yeah they, there's, there's a few 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 guys out here that really know what they're sure. doing and really know how to get these birds and um anytime you're in a field that close to somebody it's it's always like ah shoot right. here we go and it happens you know especially on those huge concentrations of birds that are splitting up and stuff like that but uh you know if we're if we're hunting close to each other and you know like i said there's 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 two ways to go about it when a group's next to you in a field like trevor was saying with snow geese that's a different different animal right there but um as far as the ability to pull birds you know like somebody could hunt the edge of a field that's loaded up that i'm going into and if they're a damn good killer, they can, they can pull birds, you know, um, it just all comes down to, uh, I don't, I don't mind setting up next to anybody as long as they're not going to be trying to park in front of my spread or you, you got to know how to hunt around people. If that's, if that's what's going to be happening in your area. Right. If you want my opinion on lessers, yeah, I wouldn't want to next to you. Yep. That guy right there, Will Riddle. Pretty damn good at it. <laughs> I would not want to hunt next to him. Compete. He's pretty good. I told people I went around, I said, man, I said he's he's a young guy. I said, but whoever taught him or whoever he learned from, he uh, God knows what he's doing. You know, I don't. I, it, I'm gonna tell you, man. Age um, is not nearly as important as absorbing information. I don't care whether you're 18 or 50, dude. I know guys that's well. I've been doing this shit for 50 years, and I'm like, well, if you had any idea what these guys freaking 30 years younger than you were doing it would make your head spin and i'm not saying yeah. there's not some ogs that are badass but i'm gonna tell you if you're not constantly finding ways to get better your ass is getting left in the dust and there's guys doing things yeah, better not, than you are evolving every day if you think gonna, age like, equates young dudes age just gave you more time to give you, you age just gave you more time to gather more knowledge but if you're not applying that knowledge and you're stuck in your ways it, I'm just telling you, man, I see it all the time. 
these these younger guys they're learning and they know that they can learn from other people take the information that works for them and ultimately they become freaking badass hunters so yeah you know Trevor, too many eager Trevor people out there dude being 16 years old and going to meet clients it's like oh shit <laughs> we got stuck with the young one and then you got these 40 year old men that decided last night they wanted to become outfitters that yeah. automatically look credible than than we did as 16 year old yeah. meet guys yeah. um yeah it's funny it's it's definitely not a game for everybody. There's definitely a lot of good young guys out here, but it's all just a matter of how you hold yourself and how you interact with your clients, your landowners, your farmers, and your competition, you know? Yep. One more thing it might we might throw in. Will probably gets this a lot, dude, but I'll like, man, I'll get hundreds of messages like, Hey, I want to become a guide. What do I need to do? And it, it's just, it's, it's more than, than just that, you know, it's the hunting aspect is like, it all it all comes down to like our roots man like this is what we like grew up like this is what we learned to love before we even started doing this like this was this was it for us and like will like we texted today and he said he sent me a text today let me read it he said said something about i wish that i was on the earth no what are you right, right there with you bro wish my purpose on life was longer than half the year long and like, yeah, that's, that, that kind of like, hits. Huh? Yeah. It's pretty, pretty hard. Deep, <laughs> all, all we think about every day, all day long is, I mean, that's me is hunting geese. That's all I think about. That's all I want to do. And this time of year sucks. Hate it. But I had to wake up at 8 a.m. this morning, man. And I was like, come on, dude. Like it's summertime. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, this has been fun, man. Um, there's a lot of information in here, you know, maybe doesn't apply perfectly to everyone, but man, if you're looking for a general baseline on where you need to start for hunting these things in the spread, this is going to be a damn good place to start. And, you know, I know Will doesn't want to do it, but I'm going to see if I can pull his arm whenever I get out there to Texas and <laughs> can put a video to do together. What? To put yeah. it, just a uh, uh, just a little just a, a small video. We don't have to give away all your secrets, but but uh, you know, just to kind of just the kind of general baseline stuff that a lot of people might you know might not know. Um, Absolutely, there's a lot of there's a lot of things you got to start with when you're gonna gonna try to hide inside. And, the and you can talk about it the way we did, but you know, I, I would like to be able to put kind of these things we talked about and, and just apply it in a small little video oh, to say, Hey man, this, this will help you like somewhere where I can just, somebody's asking about, um, you know, hunting the spread and I can say, you know what, instead of me trying to explain it in words, let me just send you this link right here and you go watch this. And that's what I've, I've responded to so many people's questions on that, that Facebook page with just a link to our right. hunt from last year. Cause it's like, just watch it. Look, right. I mean, but like when I was, a, when I was a kid, I was watching the same YouTube videos over, right. over, over, you know, just trying to, trying to see what these guys are doing. But at the end of the day, you know, you, you figure out what everybody's doing. There's, there's no right or wrong way to set a spread after you dot your eyes and cross your T's. I mean, you said you park your truck quarter mile away, right on the bird's flight path into the field. Doesn't matter what you did. I mean, that's going to hurt you. So <laughs> it's just a, there's a lot of, I don't want to say common sense things, but there's just still a lot of stuff that, that people need to realize about hunting these birds. It goes so much further than just setting a decoy spreading call. Right. And one of the things that we think about though, we, you know, with us doing it every day, it's really, really easy for us to take for granted the stuff that just comes second nature that we think everybody should know. But then when you stop and think about it, you're like, well, 
hell, they never had nobody that taught them that, you know? So, um, you know, some of the stuff that, that we, you know, we, we just, it's, it's not even a thought, you know, other people there, they're not even applying that. So I think this is going to be a really good baseline, this conversation. Um, you guys, I, I appreciate both of you. I appreciate um, what you've done to help our growth of Dive Bomb and this brand. And uh, it's coming, man. I'm looking forward to getting back out there again. We had a blast last year, and we're going to do it Can't again wait. this year. So I'm looking forward hopefully to it. No, hopefully no wreck trucks this time. Yeah, that's right, man. Golly, uh, that was a nightmare. Gosh, that was dog, a nightmare. I totally forgot about that, man. That was that was so crazy. Mm-hmm. Freaking power line comes down. Will's truck's in the middle of the road. It, golly, what I, was a, I was coming to an intersection and uh, going to hook up to the trailer. I guess I, like the light was red. I was two, 300 yards out for it. Light turns green. I get back on my gas and all of a sudden the power line's falling in the middle of the damn intersection. <laughs> I clothesline it, hits the slack between the two and like, what the fuck just happened? Look over my shoulder and there's a dude that had popped the curb, taking a left-hand turn at that red light and hit that power pole. That so right when I was coming through that intersection, that thing just I mean, fell. What are the nowhere. chances, man? Like getting struck by light. Yeah. And we you guys still rolled out and killed him, didn't you? So the Athel Athel was with me. Um, Athel was with me. He came and met me at the house, and we were going to hook up to the trailer. He uh, before we even called nine one one, we got the hunt lined out for the morning. <laughs> we uh, yeah, we 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 had it wasn't as good as the day before, but we had two monster monster spins, um, and it was it was awesome. So yeah, dude, we still. We still got it done. We didn't have Will with us that morning, but but uh, they sure had the hunt lined up. They weren't going to let anything stop it. Got it for us. That was that was a clutch move on his part because I was pretty shook up from that deal. Yeah, I know he I was shook imagine. up. Too. He, no doubt. He had to swallow that, and I think we called <laughs> we called somebody to give him a because he didn't have his truck. So we called somebody to go give him a ride from that intersection to get his truck and then go get the trailer. Crazy. Well, oh man, man that was- I appreciate you guys. Thank you for taking your time to join me today. And uh, I look forward to seeing both of you real soon. Absolutely. Absolutely All right. Um, Thanks fellas. See you, Asher. Man, that was, uh, that was jam packed full of valuable information. Uh, if you guys are interested in booking a hunt with one of these guys at Crooked Wings, uh, hit me up on Instagram. I'll get you in touch with one of them or you can, you can look them up at uh, crookedwingoutfitters.com if you want to see a bunch of awesome pictures, videos. Uh, as always, make sure you're following along on all of our social media platforms, especially the closed Facebook group, Dive Bomb Ministries Forum and Fan Page. I cannot stress this enough. It's the best place to get inside information on new products and product releases. Make sure you're subscribed to our YouTube channel. We're going to be dropping some badass full-length hunt videos this fall. Uh, you don't want to miss it. Hang in there a little bit longer, boys and girls. It's almost here for everyone. Until next time, y'all be good. Thank you for listening to the Dive Bomb Squadcast.